You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Create Photography Retreat. We're so excited to be part of the Create Photography Retreat again here in 2020. It's being held in beautiful Greenville, South Carolina, October 14th to 17th, when all the fall colors will be breathtaking. A few of you wonderful Master Photography listeners have already taken the plunge and invested in yourself. We're so excited to meet you. For the rest of you listening, there are still tickets available, and we'd love to have you fill the retreat with listeners of Master Photography. Be sure to hit the link in the show notes to get 10% off your ticket price. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode. I'm welcomed by my favorite underwater photographer, Jenna Martin. How are you, Jenna? Welcome to the back to the show. I'm good. <laughs> it's great to be back. Yes, that's awesome. You've you've added to your family recently, right? I have got a little baby, and he is technically on the podcast today as well. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we may hear a little bit of, of from, what's his name? His name is Jones. Jones. We may hear a little from Jones. That's just fine. I'm just glad you would, you're willing to join me for this episode. It's really fun. So we're going to talk, we're going to talk a lot about fine art photography because Jen is a rare breed. <laughs> she, she is someone who actually like, is successful at it. So we're going to give some, we're going to have her help us with some tips on what you can do to be successful at it too. I do want to take a brief moment though here and give you a little bit of a software update status. It's my job here on master photography to be the geek. So <laughs> I have to share that information and I'm going to tell you, don't update to Photoshop 21.1.0. This is the one that just came out a couple of weeks ago here in like late February, early March, um, in celebration of Photoshop's 30th birthday. They, they seem to have rushed out the release <laughs> and it is not a good one. You're going to want to skip it. There's lots of people having a lot of problems. The it's, it's crashing a lot. Even something as simple as like the text tool is crashing it. So I'm pretty sure we're going to want to skip that version. We're going to wait till they have a patch, the first update after that major release. So you, I think you should, you'll want to skip that altogether. It's really easy to downgrade. So if you've already succumbed to temptation and updated as soon as the Creative Cloud app said there was an update, please don't do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> resist. Resist that temptation and wait for us to talk about it on the show so that, that we can tell you and you'll avoid problems. I hear from lots of listeners. I heard that's why I know there's been a lot of problems with this release already. I've heard from a lot of listeners like, I didn't listen to you. I updated and now it's crashing like crazy. So it's really simple to downgrade. You can just open up the Creative Cloud app. There's three little dots next to like an open icon for the Photoshop. Looks like a tile or a card kind of in the new app and if you just click on that and, and choose other versions then you can choose uh, version 21.0.3 which it has the photo taco seal of approval it's, it should be good it's a nice stable release so uh so there you go and you can keep up with all of this stuff you don't have to wait for the show to come out in order to get these updates you can go over to the photo taco podcast i have a page there dedicated to the current status of software updates so you can get if you're wondering in a moment in time go check out that page and it gives you the, the latest info. All right. So now that we've shared that, Jenna, you were on a while back, right? We met. Yeah. In the I was just I'm sitting here following along with you, going to check my, my Photoshop updates. <laughs> <laughs> Have I updated or not? <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't want to apply the latest one for sure. No, but I, we, I haven't yet. That's good, good to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't do don't do that one. Re, uh, resist that temptation. Don't do that I one. Will. All yeah, right. Yeah, no, I was on uh we talked about black and white photography. Right. Um, we did. That was a while back. It was a while back. I think it was morning year. So we've got a lot of new listeners since that time. So why don't, why don't you take a second here and introduce yourself again for anyone who may not be familiar with you? Um, well, yeah, my name is Jenna Martin. And I, I think in terms of photography, I specialize in underwater underwater photography. That'd probably be my most specialized. But I'm basically just known as a fine art photographer. And uh, I'm also a writer, and I host the Creative Chaos Podcast, which is all about the, you know, basically what we're talking about today, the business of fine art and 
I tend to talk a lot about fine art photography on that podcast because it, that is what I do. Right. Um, but it kind of goes along with any kind of creative career. We talk a lot of business tips and stuff. And um, yeah, that's about that's about it. Lately, I've done a lot of it's been a lot of video work and some film stuff. And yeah, it's just it's always changing. It <laughs> it's is. always changing. It is. It's kind of what I like about it. I like how fast it changes keeps me interested i guess um and there feels like there's a never-ending source of things i need to learn <laughs> well yeah definitely and i mean there's i just did a i just did an episode on um on pivoting your business when you're in an artistic career and how it's actually not even technically a pivot because <laughs> as you grow as an artist and you grow and you evolve and you change what you're doing that your business kind of grows with you. And so it seems very scary but it's actually a good thing you, know, right. you want to move and you want to grow and evolve Right. Yeah, that that's great. So we'll we'll have a link to your show, uh Creative Chaos, right? That's what it's called. Yeah, Creative Chaos. There's there's technically two of them and one has episodes and one doesn't really. So <laughs> Okay. We'll make sure we have the right one in the show notes. But uh, yeah, for everyone episodes. Yeah, everyone who's interested, uh I you should go check it out. It's really a fun podcast. It's uh it's great. I listen to it. Um okay, so we we wanna talk about fine art photography then. I want to start off though with like, what is fine art oh, photography? What what does that mean, Jenna? Gosh, anymore that term is so widely used for so many things. I feel like it used to have an actual definition, and now it's just it can mean virtually anything. Um, I think Instagram definitely changed the meaning of it a lot too, and it also has kind of this negative connotation with it. I think in the same way that a lot of times people hear the term, you know, natural light photographer, and you say, <laughs> right. oh, well, it's because you don't know how to shoot anything else. And it's like, well, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> but sometimes there's photographers that just want to call themselves that because they just like shooting only natural light, and that's fine. And I think fine art photography got kind of a weird connotation, too, where if you say you're a fine art photographer, people say, oh, it's because you didn't make a living shooting weddings, so <laughs> this is what you do now. <laughs> right. And uh, So I, I think there's a lot of different branches of it. Um that I kind of do underwater. I do a lot of surrealist work. So you know, there's all kinds of different ways you can go about it. I think a lot of people who do landscapes, uh, that's a lot of times considered fine art. Pretty much anything, anything I tend to take it that you wouldn't need a uh, specific client that's directing what you're shooting. Although anymore, that's also changed because there's people who have wedding photography that's also considered fine art. Right. And maternity has a huge fine art gap in maternity. Um, so I don't know. There's just a lot of different ways to look at it. If it's a client one, I like to think that if it's a portrait of someone else and I still want to put it on my wall, I'll consider it fine art. <laughs> ah, there's a good definition, right? Yeah. That's, that's about as, as close as I can get there. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty good definition. What about, would you say, uh, if you spend, uh, a lot more time preparing for a shoot, bringing creative elements to a shoot, do you, don't you think that happens a lot more with fine art? Like if that's what you're doing, it's likely a fine art thing you're working on. It might be, it might be, you know, it's just, sometimes it just really depends on what on, on very specifically what you're doing. Cause I've been on uh, shoots with newborns where that takes an unbelievable oh. amount of preparation. Um, it takes, those are four or five hour shoots for, you know, <laughs> a few photos. It takes so much patience and so much preparation and some of those would be considered fine art. Some of them would just just like to stay in the term of newborn photography. So it really does depend on the person and the shoots and what they're willing to do with it. Um, I think part of it might be that in terms of regular a regular shoot where with a client, they you pretty much already know where those photos are going to go. You know, this individual client is going to purchase these photos. It's for them. Where in fine art is a lot of stuff that you are creating for yourself. It's what you think looks good and what you want to create. And then you're going to find people to purchase that work afterward, after the fact. So okay. it's kind of the backwards of it. And we'll get into that a little bit too, I think. Yeah. I've heard it said, uh, real early as I got into photography, people were asking me like, what are you going to do with this? What, what and I'm, I like doing it as a hobby. It's just for fun. I just enjoy yeah. shooting. But, um, but if you're trying to make money at this, if you're trying to become a professional photographer, I heard it said early on mountains don't pay you to take their photo. 
<laughs> which which is totally true. Uh, they don't. There's never been a mountain that's ever paid me to take its photograph. Not yet. <laughs> that might scare me. I might stop if a mountain if a mountain pays me. Uh, that might be a sign I, I need to be done. But um, so so there there is a challenge there. Like if if you are doing something that uh, that takes a lot of preparation, you're trying to do something really creative. How do you get anything out of it from there? That's that's kind of what I was hoping you'd be able to to help yeah. us with today, providing some tips on what to do, how to make sure maybe you you have your fine art shoot go well, and then how could you try to make some money at this or become a successful fine art photographer? So what what, what kind of Absolutely. tips do you have for us? Oh, so I think let's do tip one. Okay. Right off the bat is you have to kind of take a look at your business and how it's structured. So I usually, how I usually say is like, there's a client based business and there's an art based business and there's components of each. So in every person's business, there's the client based ones where you're shooting things specifically for clients. Uh And then you also have the art based side of things where you're shooting your personal projects and stuff like that. Now it's tough to sometimes keep those separate because there's a very big mindset in the client based side of things where people are constantly they kind of stay in that mindset, I guess I should say. And the art-based business has a different mindset. So in client-based, a good way of growing your business, um, of all, you know, just trying to find work, is you're looking for gaps in the market. You're looking for, ooh, people need senior photographers around here, so I'll just learn how to do that. Or uh, people are looking for wedding photographers that shoot outdoors, so I'll learn how to do that. And you're kind of filling in these gaps in the market and then you're marketing your business towards those gaps. And in the art-based side of things, it's the opposite. So you're actually, you know, if I'm writing a book and I'm writing, I'm writing a book and it's uh, about a a crime, it's a crime thriller. And I'm not going to look in the market and say, well, I want to write this book, but romance is selling. So I should write a romance novel. (laughs) That's not how it works. Um, you create what you want to create. It's an internal process. You're not looking for external um, validation of whether or not it would sell or not. You create what you want first and you don't ask for feedback on that finished product. You know, that book I'm writing at no point, am I going to go on Instagram and say, Hey, you guys, would it increase the chances that you would, would, would the chances go up? How do I phrase this? That you would buy my book if I put dragons in it. And if a bunch of people said, hey, if there's dragons in your book, I'll buy it. Then I'll go, great. I guess I got to figure out a way to put a dragon in this thing. You know, that's that's not <laughs> how it works at all. Right. I write the book I want to write. And then I'm going to find the people afterwards, after it's completed, to purchase it. And I think right off the bat, people have this really weird time getting out of that client mindset of, hey, you know, I'm going to go shoot pictures of mountains. And their first thought is, but mountains don't pay me. But who would pay me? Who would pay me for this mountain? And it's like, no, 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 no. Back off right there. Just hang on a second. Right. <laughs> Go shoot what you want. We'll, we'll work on that later. Because um, that's kind of those two mindsets. So you got to kind of get out of one and just focus on the work you want to produce, first of all. And then we'll and then we'll talk about marketing it and trying to find the people who are going to purchase it. All right. So tip number one might be tr- be true to yourself. Well, yeah, yeah. Just know, just know if it's client-based or art-based. Where, where is this product going to be, um, that you're doing? Cause if you're, say you're shooting for licensing, that's slightly more client-based. You might have a client that says, Hey, I need photos for my website. And then you can actually go and shoot those specific kinds of photos for that website. So it is a little more client-based or like I tend to do, um, mine are licensed for book covers a lot of times, or I sell them as prints, selling them as prints. That's entirely art-based. I'm not asking anyone for feedback right. on those ones. I just right. create what I want, sell as prints. So you have to know what you're shooting. Is it going to be entirely art-based or is it going to be client-based where you will need to pitch it to someone and, and get feedback from someone else? Okay. All right. And so how, how do you think it's different from just offering photography services then? So like when you're offering photography services, um, so say you're a wedding photographer and you're, you're doing photography services and you have, um, at the end, at the, after you shoot a wedding and you ask your clients and you're doing kind of the little review process of, Hey, why did you hire me? And they say, well, we really liked that you offered digital files in your, in your packages. Okay, great. Maybe you have also shoot families and you also shoot seniors and you go, Oh, I should include digital files. I should take that feedback and I should apply it to my current product. 
And this is different. This is not, you're not pitching out to people at all. This is, I'm going to go out and I'm going to shoot pictures of birds because that is what I want to shoot. Gotcha. And that's it. That's the, that's the end of it. There's no feedback into, I wonder if bluebirds sell more than the red. Bird. No, no, no. <laughs> you shoot what you want. You pick it. Okay. All right. Okay. So now let, let's say it's more the, it's just pure artistic side. You have a creative vision for something you want to do. You want to produce. Um, you, and, and maybe you even collaborate with some people like you're going to have hair, and makeup, you're going to have uh, dress, you're going to have whatever, a lot of, a lot of efforts going into the shoot. And, mm-hmm. um, and you're going to create, you're going to go and, and execute on this vision. What do you do from there? Now I have this really cool image that I've created. Now what? Okay. Well, first we got to kind of look at this in terms of a business. So if you are, you've got this one great image, that's awesome. That's a great start, but you're not going to do anything much with that one image. So now it's time to look at it in terms of, okay, do I want to sell prints? Do I want to sell licensing? Where do I want to actually take my business? Uh And then you put your portfolio together. So you've got this one image and you say, I want to do more images like this. Great. Get at least 10 together. Get somewhat of a portfolio together so you have a collection that you can put up on your website. You have this entire collection because now you can either start selling those as prints and part of a collection. And that's part of print sales is you're not, you're not necessarily selling one print to a lot of people. You find this cult of people, this small group. And what happens is they usually buy more than one print. They buy two and three and four. And then they wait until you come out with something else and then they all jump on it. And so it's not in terms of I'm going to make one photo and then I'm going to just search the world for anyone who will buy this photo. You're going to build on that photo, create a portfolio around it, put it up on your site and then find people who love it so much. They start buying multiple, uh, you know, multiple photos in this portfolio. And if you want to do it in terms of pitching to someone else, then you have an actual portfolio you can show them. And you can say, this is the work I can do for you, or these are options available to license for you. And you have a group to show them. So if you have your one great photo, it's a good start. But I would say, put that into a portfolio and get it organized correctly where someone can see it. Okay. And okay. Lots of thoughts come into mind here. So uh, (laughs) uh, how about then, like you, you mentioned, it sounds like you're saying like niche down a little bit, find your, your niche of what you're going to be producing the the types of images that you're going to be producing yeah definitely how how important is it like like you've done underwater that's a massive theme of your shoots right is is underwater well and i even do underwater portraits so i'm even more niche right, <laughs> than right. just underwater right so how important do you think it is then that you make sure all 10 of the images are in a niche and in a genre that's really kind of narrowed down as as much as you can. So it is super important because like I said, you're not, you won't find a bunch of people that are going to buy one photo. You find ones that love you and then they buy multiples and it's easier to sell those multiples when they all go together. When you can say, you know, here are three shots you can hang in your, above your couch and they all make sense together. It's, it's like almost like you're selling a triptych, even though it's not technically a triptych. They're in a cohesive collection. So that makes sense. So instead of people buying that one shot, you know, when you are very, very specific and you have this kind of, when you really niche down, it allows people to buy more of those pieces in your portfolio. Um, it, it just, it makes more sense for them right. to do that. So maybe not so much so like with your underwater that you're going to say, it's always got to be a woman in a red dress under the water, but, yeah. but yeah. underwater, yeah. And you can, yeah, it's, it's, it's underwater or it has the same feel. So even if you shoot very different subjects, cause your collections can be organized, you know, a million different ways. It's up right. to you, but say you're shooting, um, maybe you shoot all, all this, all just mountains. They're just different peaks around the world. That's one collection. Maybe you're shooting all photos in Yosemite and they're all just have a similar mood and tone and feel to them. That's another collection. Even though there's one is a mountain and one is a picture of an elk they might still all be included in one collection. So it's completely dependent on however you want to organize it, as long as it makes a cohesive collection um, in one single portfolio. And that's it's really important because when you first start out, I think, shooting fine art, people tend to 
we tend to put a lot of our stuff in one collection because we think it all has the same feel. And then as you shoot more and more and more and you realize, Oh, I've actually got like four collections in here (laughs) and you start breaking them apart. And it takes a little while to kind of notice, to notice how, you know, how it works and stuff like that. And you can start getting a feel for it. Right. Okay. So if, if you do have a few different types, let's say, uh, for example, I shoot a lot of portraits. I shoot seniors. I shoot, uh, landscapes um it feels like it's totally confusing for someone that goes to my <laughs> website because they're like wait the, what what does he shoot here he's got like everything all over the place and if i i think it's confusing to people that come how do, do you think you need to have like a portfolio online presence that is more dedicated to that one type and like for me maybe i should consider having one that's landscape and a whole different portfolio maybe even a different website that is the portraits i i would say keep your website all keep it all in one place for sure um but definitely know what you're doing with each one so if you're planning on selling the the port or the uh, portraits more towards clients or to, as you know fine art portrait prints, yeah. then that definitely needs to go in its own category. Whereas landscape landscape would go in another. Um, on my site, like I have the collections, I have my To Dream a Dream collection, which is entirely surrealist photography. That's it's not underwater; it's on land. Uh-huh. And then I have underwater stuff, um, and then I have like black and white underwater stuff. Like I have a few different sections. There's a lot of other fine art work that I do, but that's not on my website at all. You know, a lot of that stuff is stuff that I will license for book images. And so there's no reason for me to put it on my website. I'm sending examples and stuff like that directly to publishers and to clients. So I never put that on my site. Whereas the stuff that I'm selling as prints do go on my site. So you kind of have to figure out what you want to do with that. If you want to sell all of that as print, all of the work you've ever shot, might want to rethink that (laughs) (laughs) because chances are you've gotten better over the years and there's some work that just isn't on par with what you can do now. So go ahead and take that off your site. So even if you have different sections and different collections, that way at least you still have really great work in each one and you can call it a full collection. Okay. So having a, I think going into the, that mindset, um, then it's as I'm working on my website to show off my portfolio, I have to make two decisions. It sounds to me like you tell me if this, this sounds right. I have to decide, am I advertising my services as a for hire photographer and therefore Mm want to, you know, make sure I have images that, that will sell me as a for hire photographer. Mm -hmm. Is that what I want to do? Or do I want to have them buy prints from me? And Mm -hmm. it's not, someone I'm trying to reach out to clients who are looking for a type of image to hang in their office or in their uh, place of business in like a lobby area or whatever that it might be exactly yeah and that's what um so like a lot of the print sales or licensing and leasing that I do sometimes are with interior designers that they'll be in charge of doing an entire building and so when I am pitching to an interior designer if I find an interior designer I'm like hey I love your work um, or I would love to work with you on future projects. And I send them a link to my site. I'm going to send them a link to my site so that they can go to my site and see the collections of the fine artwork that I've done, because that's what they're interested in. Right. And whether if I were to shoot, if I say I was still shooting weddings, there's no reason for those people to see that work <laughs> right. because they're not interested in it. So in that case, I would probably have one website. And then when you come to that website, it would be, you know, go to weddings or go to fine art, which one do you want to go to? So I could link them separately or, Say I was a wedding photographer who did fine art portraits. Maybe that would all be on one site because they are very, very similar and each client could see the other and it'd be fine. My site, I don't have any client work pretty much at all that I was sending potential clients to for hired work. So I don't have anything separate to do, but yeah, if you have like actual hired work, say you do a lot of product photography, anything like that, it would make sense to, you could still have one website, but just have that first cover page or that initial entry when you say, do you want to look at, you know, what are you looking for? Are you looking for, um, client work? Are you looking for fine arts and let them choose or at least have it separate so that when you are pitching to clients, you can link to your fine art portfolio and they don't have to, you know, wade down through family photos and seniors to get to it. Right. Right. Okay. I think that makes sense. I, 
my my portfolio is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> you shoot so much though. It is a you gigantic so mess. <laughs> yeah, I I love every every aspect I've ever tried. I just want to do more. Like I <laughs> I have macro now that's out there. It, it's just I have everything that I want to do and. I love it. You're like a little kid with their first camera. It is, yeah. Except years go by and you're still a little kid with their first camera. You just shoot everything. I love it. Exactly what I, yes, that's right. It's it's a, a total passion. I just, it's so much fun. And I can't wait to do even more of it. Like I have a day job now, so so I don't, I don't do it all day, of course. But uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be so much fun. And I, I'm realizing as we're talking like, yeah, my portfolio website is a gigantic disaster. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably need to uh, to address that. But the other part for me personally, and this has nothing to do with any of the tips we're talking about. Well, so yeah, great. We're going to include that in the episode now. But <laughs> but the 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 problem I have is I'm not really trying to even make money from my photography. Mm-hmm. Um, I like sharing images. I like inspiring people. Uh, we do. Uh, enough client portrait shoots that I kind of need a, a way to be able to show some examples of that kind of shooting. Um, but I'm, I'm not even attempting to contact anyone and, and sell my images. It's, it's not something I'm that worried about. Uh, I'd love it if people bought them, of course, that'd be great, but I'm not seeking it out. But okay, let, let's say by, I, I waved a magic wand and my portfolio actually looked good. <laughs> Yeah, your portfolio looks pretty good. You don't need that big of a magic wand. Um, and and so I'm ready now. But just having that isn't going to make people start beating down the email <laughs> and and say, "Ooh, I love your stuff." Or you know, I'm not going to get notifications about all these sales all of a sudden uh, on on the portfolio website. So you talked about sending a link. You know, you sought out an interior designer, and you're going to send them a link offering your services or offering your images, I guess I should say, is something that might help them, um, which I'm, I'm betting a lot of interior designers are always on the lookout for contemporary images that they can include in their designs. So well, they are. And, you know, they're looking out for anything that's unique, too. That right. sets them apart when they have those their photos of these rooms that they're designing. They a lot of interior designers. I mean, they're artists, too. They don't want their stuff to look like everybody else's right. stuff. So when you can, you know, give them some great art to work with, that's helpful for them. You know, right. that's something that they're looking for. And that, that's been really helpful for me. A lot of my, you know, the conceptual underwater stuff, you have pictures of, you'll see it all the time, pictures of waves, of bubbles, of, you know, the odd things that happen in the water. I, a lot of that looks great to blown up as a print and it looks really good on the walls. And so that's why it, it was helpful, you know, to start contacting interior designers. But I think what you're what you're asking, if I get, tell me if I'm right, is so where do you go from this? You got the portfolio, and you got it on your site, and instead of just waiting for people to show up, like, what yeah, do you actually don't do don't you have to be more proactive, or is there search engine optimization? How do you how do you make sure so, the clients know yeah. they're there? Um, so this is like we'll just call this tip number three. Okay, but they're um. This is if you're going to treat it like a business, you have to treat it like a full business, and that means doing actual marketing and doing actual client outreach. So it's the same thing. If you're going to shoot families, a lot of times people say, okay, I'm going to shoot families and I'm just going to post on Facebook that now I shoot families. And then you just wait and nothing happens right. <laughs> because that's not a proper, that's not the correct marketing channels to go through. And it's the same thing with fine art. So there are a million ways to sell your work. And a lot of them take a lot of outreach. So, you know, first off, you have galleries. I love selling in galleries. It's pretty old school. But galleries have a submission process. You go to their website. You see if they're the right place for you. You fill out their submission form. It gives them links to your um, portfolio. They have directions on how to do it. And you have to follow them perfectly. Kind of a way they weed people out, I'm pretty sure. Um, but make sure if, if everything is good, then that goes to the gallery. A really good gallery gives you about a 50-50 commission. So if they are one of the ones that offer and say, we're going to give you a, well, we're only going to take 10% commission, but then you pay an extra 250 a month, you're just renting space. Don't, you know, that's not good. So a true gallery is somewhere around a 50-50 commission, 60-40 at the most that they split. Um, but there's a whole process to that. That gives you the 
you know, way to hang your prints and put them somewhere where people will actually buy them. It's up to the gallery to do a lot of the marketing, to have events, to get people in the door, to have those live, live music, all that kind of stuff that they do. Um, you can sell online through on-demand sites. These are also called, uh, like Sachi art, fine art, America, society six red bubble zazzle. Uh, there's a lot of them you can sell, um, you work online and that's where your work gets uploaded. Say you have a photo of this mountain, you put it onto one of these ones. Well, people can buy either a print of that mountain or they can buy a print of that mountain on a pillow or they can put it on a coffee cup or they can put it on their phone case. They can put it on whatever they want and you always get a portion of that. And that's, so that's where you think, well, I'm not going to be getting rich off this one print because I'm only going right. to make like $2 per pillow that's sold. Said, well, that's absolutely true. But when it's a tiny portion of your work and you have more photos that are up there, it starts adding up over time through the print on demand sites. Um, you can still work on your own platforms. That's where social media marketing really comes in handy. Things like Etsy, um, your own websites where you drive people to that work. That's also where it comes in handy, where you start getting those little groups of people that love your work, because then you can start doing countdowns for your future collection <laughs> and people can pre-order. And that's kind of like a book launch where you can start, you know, really pushing that out and amping that up and using your email list to where the second a print comes out, people can jump on it. And when I say jump on it, a lot of times, I guess we should probably talk about that too. Uh, if you have a limited edition, there is only so many prints available. And so having that audience there to say, I'm going to release a collection of 10 prints on this date, people are ready and they're waiting. And so when you release them, it's not a matter of going out finding people. It's people right there are waiting. They are wow. waiting for you to release that print from that collection. And a lot of them want to buy it more because if they've already bought prints by you, that makes the next one more valuable because they now own more from that same collection from that same photographer. So it's actually more beneficial for them. Uh, Gosh, you can do uh, corporate clients. That's where you would um, email interior designers and you talk about leasing to hotels, restaurants, a lot of these bigger places. A lot of my underwater work ends up in massage parlors or um, <laughs> like uh, mental health clinics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Water's very soothing. So that tends to be um, where a lot of my work goes. So you'll, you'll kind of find like I didn't think that I'd be selling underwater work to massage parlors <laughs> a few years ago, but it just kind of, you know, you start finding out where your work fits and then you kind of start going down that path a little bit. So you definitely have to do some research and some client outreach and start, you know, finding where you can and sell this work. Okay. So how, how did you end up placing, getting them to buy your images for the massage parlor? How, how did that happen? That was through an interior designer. Okay. So that was originally through an interior designer that was, they were hired to put together this entire um, place and yeah. they uh, liked my work and suggested it to the woman. And she said, absolutely. And my work ended up filling the entire place. It was all underwater work for me that went on all the walls because it was from a cohesive collection. They didn't need to look somewhere else right. because all of that work fit together. And so it fit with their, you know, their design process. Whereas if I would have had one piece of underwater work and then the next one was of a fish and the next one was of the sky, like it might not have worked together and they might have only bought one or two of my prints and used somebody else to fill the rest. But because it was all a cohesive collection, it made sense to do that. And was so that this was originally, yeah, with an, with an interior designer. Was this interior designer someone in your local area that you, how did you know to reach out to them? Um, no, I, I reached out to them. They were in Seattle actually. I, so what I do is, um, what I used to do, I don't need to anymore, but if you're starting out a good yeah, way to do it. Yeah. So it's, a uh, house H O U C Z, I think is what it's called, uh -huh. okay. but it lists interior designers in like any location. So I originally, it's a website. I would go and I would just search like Chicago or New York or just a big city. Cause I live in Montana and we aren't well known for our <laughs> interior design. <laughs> right, business right, right. <laughs> So I just searched bigger cities and then I would list all these interior designers and I would list them all into a big spreadsheet and have all their names and all their websites. And I'd go through their websites and find ones that I thought were a good fit for my artwork. And then I would start contacting them, whether it's through email, through phone, I would contact them. So I'd love to work together. Um, this is the kind of work I do. I would love the work they did. Of course you want to compliment them and tell them, you know, why you want to work with them, why you think you'd work great together. And it was one of the interior designers that I had been uh, in contact with out in Seattle that ended up um, is the one that used me. So it was a lot of sitting down and going through 
hundreds of websites from other interior designers and finding ones that I thought were a good fit and then sending out a ton of emails and making a ton of phone calls and hearing back from a handful uh-huh. and, you know, kind of going through that process. I think that's why it's easy for people to get discouraged because they say, well, no one's buying artwork. It's like, well, have you sent 400 emails yet? Have you done that yet? <laughs> because, Speaking you know, of magic wands, huh? <laughs> yeah, you, you got you to gotta kind of put in that groundwork. But then you start, you know, I would get a couple different interior designers that still consistently today call me up and say, hey, we've got this place, this is your budget, can you do it? And you're like, yeah, yes or no. Um, But they know they've worked with me before and it's like I'm one of their artists that's kind of on their, I'm just on their list of when they call, when they have a project they think is a good fit. Right. Hey, see, what comes to mind as you tell that story or as you give that tip is, as we travel around, even just here in my home state, Utah, uh, we visit southern Utah on vacations all the time. We like leaving the horrible weather that we're having right now in northern Utah and heading down to southern Utah because it's warm. <laughs> yeah. And all the time as we're staying in, whether it's a, a B&B or a hotel, there's art on the walls. There always is. Yeah. And always my kids and my wife are like, you have better stuff than that. That, yeah. that, you know, that's on the wall. And I'm like, yeah, but how do I, I have no idea. That's how, <laughs> how because to make someone sure. designed that room and they have probably a photographer and artist on hand they've worked with that they like. And instead of branching out, because that takes a lot of work, they just use that same person. They haven't gotten any new emails from someone else. Right. <laughs> they just, they use that same person. And so when your work gets to a level that you're like, this is good work, I can start sending this out. That, you know, if, as an interior designer, that when they open up an email and they say, oh, this is a really great artist, I can definitely use their stuff, I'm going to put them on this list, and when something comes up, I'm going to use them. You know, that's it's beneficial for you. It's beneficial for them. It's, it's that relationship you're looking for. And that's how that starts. It's a lot of just emails and phone calls, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Reaching out. Okay. All right. I, th- I think I get that idea. Um, tell me the difference then. You mentioned print-on-demand kinds of websites where you could put your fine art images. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it's different than stock images. Is that right? Yes, it is. It, it is different. And I, to be honest, I don't use a lot of these. Um, I, I think I looked into them a while ago, and it just wasn't worth my time. The other areas I had more success with, right. so I just didn't do it. But I know a lot of other photographers and other artists who are like painters and stuff who swear by it. So I think it just depends if it's a good fit for you. Um, but yeah, it is a little bit, it's not stock photos. It's, it's very different because, um, stock imagery kind of, they can take that photo and then they get to use it for whatever. This is where they can do everything, but it has to be within the site itself. So oh, if they okay. want to take that photo and put it on a pillow, it has to be done in the site and the, the site will handle everything and ship it to them rather than they're just buying a photo and then they're going home and doing whatever they want with it. So it is, it is a very separate, very separate thing. Okay. All right. That makes sense. And because the stock, I've done a little of that. It's not, (laughs) the market fell out on that one a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not very worthwhile. Um, Okay. Now the next question I have was you mentioned you you built up enough clients and enough reputation. Now they're probably spreading word of mouth um, with other interior designers. You probably get that kind of relay business. And now you've got to the point where when you are about to release a new collection of images, you have people waiting to be able to buy mm-hmm. these things. How do you like logistically deal with that? Are you doing that on your website or how, how do you take yeah. these so, bids or what is so it? That's with, so that's with my website and that is with um, limited edition collections. So, and the reason people are waiting for those is because they don't come out all that often. So I have, like, I'm still, it's, I'm in the process of another limited edition collection and it's been, I've been working on it for two years. So it's, I mean, they take a long time and that's why the limited edition, because it takes so long. These aren't just photographs you go and shoot, you edit them and they're done. Those are open collection that I use for a million other things. So those are people who are on my email list and they're basically notified, Hey, this collection is going to come out. And most of my work, I try to keep similar pricing to what it was before. Sometimes I raise the prices depending on the collection. This one that's coming out, I may raise the prices a little, but I'll probably keep it pretty similar. Um, And so you're basically saying, this is what I have coming out in my limited edition. Mine are always done by 15 is my lowest size, um, 7 is my medium size, and 3 is my top size. So those are my... 
um, it's a, it's an addition of 25. Essentially you have three different sizes and they can pick from which one. And then I usually will say, these are the three sizes that are going to come. These are the price points that they're going to be at. This launches on this date. And then I'll, I'll give them more information, but it lets them know something's coming, know the size you want ahead of time, know the price you want ahead of time. If you need to save up for it, here you go. Like this is all your information you're going to have. And then when it actually happens, the email, it goes straight to email before anybody else, before it goes on a website, on Instagram, on anything, it goes straight to email. That's one of the benefits they have of being on the email um, list is they get first dibs on everything. And then plus when you do release it to Instagram or you do release it to uh, social media or on your website, you can mark down that part of them have already been sold. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a collection of my 15. There are, you know, two have been sold or my collection of seven, one has been sold. And that automatically makes the other ones more valuable and more exclusive. Plus, if you have laddered pricing, that allows you to raise your pricing. So laddered pricing is when you have static pricing or laddered pricing when it comes to limited edition stuff. And static pricing means everything, say everything in my collection um, in that middle size, those seven pieces, they're all the exact same price. And as people buy them, that price stays the same or laddered pricing is when two or three sell out, the rest become more expensive. And then when they buy two or three more, the last one is more expensive. So it goes up the more it sell out. So when you send them out to your email list and people are ready and they're waiting and they know the price they want or the size they want and to have their money ready, they purchase it a second you release it onto social media or website. It's more exclusive, and if you have laddered pricing, you may actually raise your prices when you release it out there. So it gives people more of an incentive to get on your email list and have first dibs so they actually see stuff come out when it's technically the lower price because they only see it after people have started purchasing it. So there's, yeah, that's that's a little bit of part of how you would approach that launch process, I guess. I guess you'd call it a launch process. (laughs) Do you use any tools that help you manage all of this or how, how do you keep track of how many you've sold? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know that there are probably really great things available, but I just use numbers on my Mac. Uh-huh. It's okay. just a spreadsheet. Okay. Um, I've been putting it in Google Docs more recently right. because I did uh, have some stuff. My Mac crashed once because um, yeah. I have three kids and uh-huh. it gets tossed around a little bit. Yeah. And so I do tend to put stuff in Google Docs now just because it's saved there. Yeah, but right. I know that there is probably software made for this and I just am old school. (laughs) (laughs) And email list wise, is that just, you just keep uh, addresses in Gmail or something or it's um, it's through MailChimp. So there's tons of those. Yeah. Those email providers. Yeah. And I've, uh, I've used MailChimp for a long time and then I used another company and I ended up actually coming back to MailChimp. MailChimp. So it's just, yeah, it just happens to be my personal preference, but there's a lot of great ones out there. Sure. Sure. Okay. All right. I think those are those are some good tips to be able to get people kind of started on this. You mentioned before, I think before we started recording, you've got a lot of training available for this. Why don't you talk about that for a second? Oh, yeah. Um, so all of this is, uh, I have like a business of fine art. This all used to be classes I used to have online um, that you had to pay for. And then when I started my podcast, I just took all my classes down and put all the info on my podcast. Okay. So, um, this, this specific subject, the business of fine art, where you talk about like the sizes you offer and the pricing and how additions work. That's a, those are over three different episodes on my podcast. So if you go to creative chaos podcast, I want to say episodes 26, 28 and 30, maybe. Okay. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <I have to laughs> look, but they, uh, yeah, they're all over there and it's, I just basically break down all this information. So you don't have to sign up for anything. <laughs> There's no like additional class you have to purchase. It's just all on the podcast. And I go over that There's a lot of like email marketing stuff and just, just different stuff that, um, anything I think is useful. It all goes on the podcast. So this was, I think three hours worth of material, um, in the class that I had it. So I just broke it down into three different episodes and was like, here you go, everyone. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So I'll make sure I, I find those episodes and put them in the show notes so people can can go and listen to those for sure as part of this. So that's great. Um, all right. So we're, we're pretty close to out of time here. I want to make sure we wrap up here. I'm, I'm going to give a doodad of the week. Do you have anything, Jenna, that you can be looking forward to share as a doodad of the week? Oh, gosh, I'm always horrible at this part. <laughs> I'll, I'll <laughs> tell about mine and then you can think about yeah. it for a second and see if you've got one. 
Um, okay, so mine mine is one that I'm going to tell you right off the bat. I haven't done a full amount of testing on this yet, so don't take this as a final recommendation. Take it as like a just an initial thing. I'm really happy I have and can't wait to try out. Um, and I'm taking the word of a lot of other photographers um, who love these things. This is called the Platypod Ultra Flat Tripod. It's sixty bucks on Amazon. There'll be a link to it in the show notes if you're interested. Um, and it's funny because I looked through some of the reviews on Amazon and people are like, wait, this is just a little thick piece of metal with holes in it. Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's a little <laughs> piece of metal with holes in it. And they're like, well, but I could just make that in my machine shop. And of course you can, you can also make your own clothes and you can make, you know, of course you can. But for those of us who don't have a machine shop where we can go machine the metal into these little pieces, uh, it's a really cool little piece of metal that you can use to stabilize uh, without a full tripod. So really cool for like adventure photography. And that's what I'm planning to use it with because I don't have to pack a full tripod with me. Even travel tripods, they're kind of bulky. And um, and in some cases, you, you just can't really set it up so that it's the where you want it, especially getting low enough. I have a hard time. Um, you can find ones that have no center column and get down there and, and you can kind of make it work. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing a trip to southern Utah soon here in the slot canyons where there's just not going to be a ton of room to be able to spread out a tripod and be able and, and work on it. So I'm really excited to give this a go, see if I can get some shots that I, I might not have been able to with a normal tripod. So this little piece of metal, and it has one of those normal 3 8 inch 16 screws, which means there's 16 threads per inch on the screw. It's very standard kind of attachment for ball heads. So the idea is you have this this little piece of metal that's going to add stability. You directly attach your ball head to this piece of metal, and then you can put your camera on there and be able to get stability that you need for doing your whatever you were going to take a normal tripod and use. But it's in this compact, just tiny piece of metal. It's super easy to transport then. Throw it in your camera bag, and it's just always available. Really cool product. Um, so yes, you can absolutely <laughs> build this thing yourself in a machine shop for sure, but that's not, most of us don't have that. So I'm going to be giving it a try. I'm going to let you know, and I'll, I'll update you on how I feel about it after I go do this trip and, and put it through the paces and test it out. But I'm pretty excited about it. So I'm, I'm making it my doodad of the week this week. So Jenna, did you think of anything? Yes, it's the, uh, you know, I've, might have been the same one I mentioned last time. I don't know. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> the um, the young Nuo, uh, that gosh, what is it? The um, flash trigger. There we go. Or the not the flash trigger. The uh, the handheld trigger. What is that called? What am I thinking of? Like an intervalometer. No, the um, shutter release. The uh, remote shutter release. Okay. That's what it is. The young Nuo one. Um, I I love this thing. I love this thing so much. So much of my work is self-portraits. I actually had someone once that I was in a gallery and I, they saw my work because um, I was approaching them in a gallery talking to them. Uh -huh. And they asked for an example of my work and I showed it to them. And they said they thought I was lying because they had seen that on Pinterest and they had pinned it as something they wanted in their gallery. And they said, no, it's not you. We've seen it on Pinterest. And the only way I could prove to them it was me was by doing the pose in the photo <laughs> being like, it's. I'm actually in the photo. Look, it's my work. Um, and the way I had to do that was through these, uh, the young Noel, the uh, shutter release. Okay. There's one that, let's see, here it is. They make them where they can go like 500 feet and shoot through walls. There's no cord, there's no wire, and you can hook up your camera onto a tripod and basically shoot self-portraits. You can shoot um, a million different things with them. I absolutely love them. They do not doesn't doesn't translate to underwater. I found out. That, that, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. The, the radio, radio waves don't go under the water very well. Huh? <laughs> they were amazing on land, and they're like thirty bucks. Uh -huh. I mean, they're hardly anything at all. You just got to make sure you get the right one that is fits with your camera. Right. Some are for Canon, some are for Nikon. So just make sure you get the right one. But otherwise, they're super cheap, and I have like five of them because I constantly lose them. Um, or a dog chews them up or, you know, a kid gets a hold of one and I'm like, oh, I'll get another one. I mean, it, it, they are, they're like $30. They're, yeah. they're not super expensive in terms of photo gear. So I love them to death. Very, very cool. I like that. And, uh, and I want to mention that Jenna's going to be with us at the retreat. 
in October. Yes. So yes. I think I'm doing an underwater demo again yeah. this year. So if, yeah, if people want to bring their swim trunks and stuff, just just bring all your swim gear and uh, you can come down. And last year, I think I had all my equipment and I just let people kind of right. just pass it around. It was right. like, here you go. Look through the finder and try it out and see what you think. And yeah, we had ourselves a good little pool party, didn't we? We did. It was so much fun to, to have that. There was a lot of people excited to give it a try. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, it's like no cost, right? You just, you were the, I guess cost yeah, because of just, the retreat, it's but just, <laughs> yeah, it's just part of the retreat. Yeah. You know, just, you can just come and try it out. And I think that's, there's so much fun involved in seeing people shoot underwater for the first time too. Yeah. Cause I, I it's enjoyable for me to see people. It sounds bad, but when you go under for the first time and you learning how to breathe and you come up and you're like half choking and spitting water, <laughs> but so happy. <laughs> it's just, it's Thank a bunch you for of really happy drowning people. Right. It's, it just makes me, it makes my heart sore. I love it so much. Oh, that's um, fabulous. I love it. I'm going to make sure I bring my swimming suit to try it this time. Yeah, for sure. You would love it too. <laughs> you love yeah, everything. I know. It'd be like another one on the list. Like now I have to go get an underwater housing because I got to do this too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Really, really cool. Thank you so much for joining me, Jenna. That was really fun. And we will not wait so long to have you come back on again. Oh, that was a blast. I always love coming on. <laughs> All right. I want to remind everyone that masterphotographypodcast.com is the home for the show. Go check out everything there. The show notes that we've been talking about here are right there. We have a menu now that has show notes because there were a lot of people who were confused. It's right there on the main page, but they didn't know that the links there were the show notes that were right there on the main page. So I have a link now that says show notes <laughs> to make sure everyone knows where the show notes are. We have a great Facebook group. If you haven't joined the community, we'd love to have you do that. That's Master Photography Podcast. You can just search in Facebook and find it, or, or you can go to the show notes, and there's a link to it there. And uh, we have a strong community of people who are all really willing to help you out, uh, including the, the hosts on the show. And uh, you can find my work over at jsharmanphotos.com. Go check out how ugly <laughs> my portfolio is there. And then uh, I have my other podcast. That's phototacopodcast.com where I give you like technical trip uh, tips and tricks and try to make technology as uh, understandable as possible on there. I'll have my Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook links there too. Jenna, besides the Creative Chaos podcast that we will make sure we have a link in the show notes to, where else can people find you? Um, my website is jennamartinphotography.com and my Instagram is by Jenna Martin and that's about it. (laughs) Okay. Very good. We'll, we'll make sure we send people your way. Thanks everyone so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you all again in another seven days.